Welcome to the Ad Nauseam Podcast, where classical gourmands everywhere can finally get their fill. Join us for a delectable discussion of Greco-Roman civilization stretching from the Minoans and Mycenaeans through the Renaissance and right down to the present. And now, ladies and gentlemen, here are your hosts, Dr. David Noe and Dr. Jeff Winkle. Welcome to episode 68 of the Ad Nauseam Podcast, Married with Classicists. Who is that on the microphone there? Well, that, Jeff, would be your lovely wife. Oh, that's right. She's sitting right next to me. Becca Winkle. Yes. Yes. Yes, and today is entitled Married with Classicists, right? So this is something brand new. We've got two people infiltrating the vomitorium that have uh, never been in here before. Well, no, I, my wife has never been in here before. No. Yeah, Tara has been... Um, in this particular locale before. But not as a, uh, a participant in the in the show. No, way back when, and when we had uh, Vomitorium Part 1, yes. she read a few ads in the Gary Schmidt episode. You that's remember that? Right, that's right. That was Vomitorium East, I believe. Yes, that's right. Maybe she'd like to say hello at this point. Hello. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Tara sounds a little bit uh, apprehensive about maybe uh, uh, participating today. That's but... because she's familiar with my work. <laughs> But yeah, we've got, we've got our wives in today here, Dave. Now, Jeff, we have been promising this particular episode for a long, long time. Yes. And the listeners are going to think that we are dishonest because we've promised so many things. Right. And, but we've come. We've, uh, we've fulfilled, deli- those, fulfilled those promises, right? You think right? so? For the most part. Delivered very little, I would oh, okay. say. Well, th- today then we're, we're, coming, we're following through. It's time to man up. Yep. So, uh, but as we always begin, before we get yes. into this, uh, into the deep waters, right. we have a shout out to Yes, give. we do. And now this one is, well, in fact, it could be an episode in its own right. <laughs> Seriously. Yeah. So this is not Ron from Down Under. And Ron, you know who you are. This is a countryman, right? What's this fellow's name? This is Paul Jabor, I believe. Jabor, yes. correct. Yes. And uh, let's read just a little bit of this. So, uh, listener, you're going to want to sit down, you know, pour a cup of coffee, maybe bring some snacks along to take a break halfway through. <laughs> Uh, Here we go. Paul says, I am Australian by birth, British by adoption. I'm going to read this part because it's self-congratulatory. Though not on paper, fear of official forms, public offices. You covered this well in the Odysseus in the Underworld episode. He listened to that one? He did. That was a long time ago. English by inclination. Take it away, Jeff. All right. So he he also says, um, my school chopped Latin the year before uh, he was due to start it. Not that would have done much good. Sport, principally cricket, was in full possession of my mind until I left school and found myself in an office of the Queensland Public Service. Ah, there's the sticky wicket, right? Yes, exactly right. Ambition unexpectedly stoked by repulsion. Ambition stoked by repulsion. That's not (laughs) one you get often. No. That's going to be the title of my autobiography. (laughs) Ambition stoked by repulsion. Yeah. My father had always urged me to study just in case I wanted to go to university. Of course, he didn't understand anything until suddenly he did. And I had to beg my way past my mediocre results into an English literature degree course. My goodness. Yes. He says, there was no interest in any other language than the mother tongue until I pitched up in Italy, decided for no reason that I could ever articulate that I wanted to live there, came to England, married, and then dragged my poor wife and two children to Parma for eight years. We've been to Parma. We have been to Parma. Yes, it was uh, January of 16. You remember that? I do remember it. Do you remember the giant wheels of cheese? Yes, we travailed the city, and uh, it was quite interesting. Very interesting, right? Do you remember that that interesting detail that lots of the locals there, instead of having money in the bank, they have wheels of cheese? I do not remember that. that. aged for years and are worth thousands of euro? That's incredible. The cheese on the bus goes round and round, you could say. (laughs) Well, that should be the subject of an episode of its own, yes. 
So then Paul goes on to say, when my wife had had enough of being stuck up a hill, however scenic, we came back here, that is Australia, and I fell through several jobs until landing in the one I've been doing for the last 14 years. He says, I won't describe it. Why not? <laughs> I don't know. Okay. I don't know. Maybe pick up at uh, the languages in the armory. The languages in the armory? I'm, I'm trying to work my way through the... Uh... The bi- okay, here we go. The language is It's on the- page 75. <laughs> the languages in the armory of someone like C.S. Lewis or virtually anyone else before the war inspire awe. Patrick Lee Fermer is another classicist at war. That would be a great episode. Yeah, so now he's giving us advice? I, I, I don't know if I'm... Is he going too far? Come on, Paul. This is a shout out. (laughs) Anyway, he says, I started Latin about 10 years ago, first with a Cambridge course and then with a tutor. I much prefer the latter, et cetera, et cetera, hard yaka, hard yaka, et cetera, et cetera. He does say, he says, says, forgive me if I've responded too enthusiastically to your request. Well, no such thing. No. No. Uh, We love the enthusiasm. Thank you very much, Paul. This was a great and... uh, Really enjoyable read. Yes, and thanks for listening. All right, Jeff. So as we get into it today, we have some uh, marriage-themed quotes. That's right. Not just one opening quote, but several. Yes. So um, I believe uh, my wife, Becky's going to read the first one we have. Would you uh, uh, set it up and, and read it? There is no more lovely, friendly, and charming relationship, community, communion, or company than a good marriage. Uh-huh. Martin Luther. Yes. Martin Luther. What do we think about that one? Well, I, do we know anything about his no marriage? Was he happily married? He or was. He was. Katarina von Bora. Okay, I don't. I don't, I don't know his, his his story. Our daughter loves those books, doesn't doesn't she? Tara? Yes, she's quite enthralled by them. What what books are we talking? What are you talking about? A series by Louise A. Vernon, and she um, chronicles some of the reformers. And okay, so and their family book, life, right? Thunderstorm okay. and church that Sophia especially enjoys. So Martin and uh, Catherine, Catherine, they had Katarina a, had a happy mm. marriage. They had a happy marriage. Okay, though so he was always spending way too much money, and he'd have to come back and say, uh, "Katie, I gave away all our money," and she <laughs> she would, uh, you know, berate him for squandering their money, spending on, a lot of it on beer. Well, I'm... beer, but also he'd give it away to beggars. Oh, okay, so he said God divided the hand into fingers so that money would slip through. Oh, I love that. Oh, I like it's nice, that. but nice. hard for family budgeting. <laughs> <laughs> right. uh, Tara, you've got our next quote. Yes, this one is by uh, Marcus Cicero. It says, not cohabitation, but consensus constitutes marriage. Ooh, romantic. Ooh, wow, you're, that's not one you're going to find on a Valentine's no, card. No, <laughs> no. Cicero really knew how to woo the ladies, didn't he? <laughs> oh, my God. It's not consensus, not cohabitation. <laughs> but consensus. Right. In other words, will you marry me? Okay. Okay. <laughs> That's it. That's it. Right, right. So, I mean, again, you're our Cicero guy. Yes. And we know a lot about his relationship with his, his beloved daughter. But Mi- yes. What do you think about his wife? Miserable. Miserable. Eventually Ooh. ended in divorce. So oh, it did. he and Tarentia were miserable for oh. years. It seems like uh, he was so ambitious, bent on political advancement, he leveraged his family deep into debt uh. and always just went to Tarentia and said, hey, you know, we're going to borrow some more money. I'm going to buy another house. And I, I don't think he was especially kind to her. Yeah. I don't think it would be nice to be married to a man who's so talented but also so ambitious. I think, right. I think it was pretty miserable. Probably didn't probably didn't see him much either. No. He, he had several villas spread out all over the, the boot. And, uh, yeah, marriages were for political advancement. Right. The element of friendship was pretty muted. That's true. That's true. Well, let's get to something a little bit lighter. we than got one more so, good quote, so right? So back, if you want to do the My last favorite. one. My favorite. Yes. I love being married. It's so great to find that one special person you want to annoy for the rest of your life. <laughs> who, who gave us that one? Rita Rudner. Rita Rudner, yeah. Kind of old, old school 70s uh, comedian. Comedian. Yes. That's yeah. a great one. She might have been I, uh, on like a laugh-in, I want to say. That sounds right. Maybe not. I'm not sure. Maybe the Smothers Brothers? Yeah, exactly. That's the era that's that we're the talking. Era. But that's a great quote. 
Well, one special person to annoy for the rest of your yes. life. Yes. <laughs> Can we settle there for a second? What, settle? David, what do you do to annoy your wife? And <laughs> what? Jeff, what do you do to annoy your wife? A better question is, what don't I do? <laughs> well, I think that we should let uh, the wives answer this question. Yes, exactly mm-hmm. right. Right. So I'm often I'm often very unaware of the things right. that I do that uh, that you that you find annoying. But uh, can you pick one? Just one. Yeah. This is this is no holds barred. Yeah. I think I think. And you know this, the recycling of material, <laughs> the stories, the jokes, the phrases. It's, and I call it old material. She will often cut so me off old material. just simply, old material. No, nope. Does old she material. hold up fingers to indicate the number of times, you know, oh, she's heard run, it twice? She's I have times. a she's finger. Out, yeah, she's, there's a particular finger she holds up sometimes. <laughs> oh, my goodness. <laughs> this is a family show, Sorry. But, you know, Sorry. We've, ta- we've talked about, uh, Dave, on the show, like our theories of humor. Right. And one of the things that you and I share is is repetition right. as, as a, as a um, right. hallmark of humor. It but, is. Boom. There's a reference. That's a reference. Exactly right. right. But right. we've also talked about how that's often very much more a masculine view. It seems humor, to be. Yes, than a feminine view. And yeah. I, but I've gotten into it somewhat. And we do it with pun, like with puns. Puns, right. So and yeah. language wordplay and stuff. That right. I enjoy. But like the same phrase. Right. But like, you know, fam, eh. family in-jokes can oh, yeah. be repeated yes, um, much more than just some of my yes. my old material. Right. Yes. And Tara, what about you? What um, just one, Tara. Just one. Yeah, just, just one. one. <laughs> That's a hard one. Yeah, I think the recycling of jokes is. I think you do it too, like, Dave. Oh yeah. Yeah. Shocking. Yeah, I know one of the things that tends to annoy her is that um, the kind of precision that makes one a good philologist. Yes. Right. Use of words and so forth doesn't make for good family conversation. <laughs> oh, oh really? Really? Okay. So would you say that's true? True. Yeah. So, so you're saying like you're overly precise in? Yeah, hard it, to believe, right? Yeah. <laughs> oh wow! I don't know when to turn it off. Okay, I got you. Hmm. Right. So are you like 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 correcting people at the table or that kind of stuff? Yeah. I'm correcting people while we're at the table, <laughs> Jeff. <laughs> yeah, you, you just saw what he did there. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, I saw it. Yes, exactly. I well, saw it. Welcome to this. This is kind of my life here <laughs> at, uh, in the vomitorium here. So, what are we going to give them in segment one, Doctor Wink? Well, as the, as um, as as my wife said at the top of the episode, this is uh, married with classicists. So we're gonna we're gonna do our best, Dave, to try to make this not about you and I, because I mm-hmm. think the listeners have probably had enough of that. Yeah. After 66, 67 episodes. episodes. Yeah. So we we want to hear from Tara and from Beck, uh, kind of their experience of. Um, Living with us, uh, uh, how our our academic obsessions and interests have maybe uh, filtered into their own, or what they what they like, what they what they pushed away, how that factored into them dating and ultimately marrying us. We want to talk about uh, times we've traveled in the classical world with them, and just to get kind of an an outsider's perspective, you know, step out of that that odd bubble that we sometimes find ourselves in. Right, and yeah. th- and this is how it's not going to be navel gazing. Yes. If I may. Exactly. Uh, and that is, we think that a lot of our listeners are in a similar circumstance. A lot of you are Latin teachers. A lot of you teach Greek and, you know, classical schools and private schools and public schools. And you have a kind of obsession with the things that we're interested in, mm-hmm. right? That's why you're listening. But what about, you know, your poor spouse or, you know, your significant other who's just kind of hanging around? Why do they have to put up with all this stuff? And what might they think about the experience? Exactly right. Yeah, yeah. So just like so, for example, uh, back how how many episodes of the show have you listened? To? None. Not one. Not one. Not one. Right. So I it, have avoided it. That's right, and that's fine. I don't take offense at that, 
but it does lead me to believe that okay, that's you know, this is a world that I live in mm-hmm. that is this completely separate from you, mm-hmm. and um, and to to what degree does that is that kind of a stand-in for um, a lot of this stuff? And I know that, that there are a lot of things that uh, through our travels and, and things that we've read and that we've talked about, um, like you've taught the Iliad, mm-hmm. right? As an mm-hmm. English teacher yourself, our 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 worlds do cross, and so yes. I'm, I'm just interested in, in kind of getting that. That kind of that outsider perspective, that that's a second pair of eyes. Right. So to put a you know more pointed question, uh, what do you remember first about encountering the classical world as Jeff presented it to you? Well, it's weird because as Jeff said, I did not have a quality like history education. I went I went through public schooling. I did Montessori schooling, but history was never emphasized. And the one history professor or teacher I did have in high school was the uh, the school's tennis coach and it was his last year before he retired so we... so he wasn't the history teacher that happened to be the tennis coach no, he was the tennis no, coach no, that no. happened to be the history yes. teacher okay. on his final year before retirement yes <laughs> an ideal and, circumstance yes history. yes and we had a study hall every single day and he would say you could read this chapter if you want but you don't have to and that was it and so i when i went to college i did my Early, I did my history before I came to Calvin, where we shall. But I did, I did my history requirements there, and so I didn't get a very full history. And I thought, I honestly thought history was boring. The idea of classics was boring to me. That's all right. But I think, I think the brilliance of it is that for me, the power is story, and the power is people. And Jeff has always had a, a way of presenting history not as something that that was but as a as a story that continues to live on Mm. and when you listen to the story as opposed to the details and the facts you get very wrapped up yeah and he so for me i really had very little knowledge um i took i mean i studied french i studied spanish but i had very little knowledge of anything kind of classical did you not Until like not Jeff. even like uh, encounter like the Odyssey? No, like a ninth grade or no. anything? nothing like that. No, yeah, that's, that's that's wild. Nope. So I mean, full disclosure, we should say um, my wife Becky is a high school English teacher. Yes. And so I think one of the ways in which you and I have uh, have um, shared a lot of interest is through that interest in narrative mm-hmm. and the stories. While mm-hmm. we 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 tend to teach and read different yes. narratives from from different eras and such, yep. there is that there is kind of that. Uh, you know the notion of the hero's journey. Right. There's kind of that, right. um, that those archetypes. Throw, right. in, throw in some liminality, maybe. Oh exactly. yeah, you we brought, love l- liminal let the spaces. Show you, you brought up the all right, 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 right. Love so some liminal that, spaces. She, Beck is also very interested in liminal oh, spaces. Oh, I love it. <laughs> <laughs> so um, yeah, that's, that's great. About uh, Tara. Now, how about how about you? Well, I also went to a public high school, but it was very much math and science focused, mm-hmm. um, and that is what I ended up studying. I studied biology. Um, so I had very little exposure to anything classical. And I think even saying the, the word classical, when I tell mm-hmm. people that my husband is a classics professor, they will say, oh, so does he teach about Jane Austen's books? Yeah. Or so they don't have, that they don't word, understand. That word is, is yes. foreign. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like um, Beck, I studied Spanish in high school. Mm-hmm. So that was my foreign language. Um, Latin was not offered. So I really had no exposure, maybe a little bit of Greek mythology in mm-hmm. high school. I did not read the Iliad or the Odyssey. Okay. I don't even think I had Greek mythology hmm. in high school. I mean, there was there was nothing, nothing. And then I also um, went to the school that 
shall not be named. Um, but <laughs> but again, I was a science major, and I had done a lot of my core before mm-hmm. coming mm-hmm. to the school. So I'm I was basically in the science building the whole time. The first uh, Greek or Latin class that I took uh, was actually in graduate school, and it was Greek and Latin roots for medical terminology. Oh, sure, right. And yeah, yeah, there you go. So, and it, I ended up adding that my first semester because I didn't have a very heavy course load, and I saw it in the school paper. We were at the University of Iowa, and I thought, oh, well, this looks really helpful. I think I probably should learn these roots because when you read medical journals mm-hmm. and scientific articles, it really helps you to mm-hmm. learn that. Yeah. So then I... I was back in my apartment, and I said to Dave, I said, oh, I signed up for this class, medical terminology. He said, what? I just got assigned that by my graduate student <laughs> advisor. I'm teaching that. And you're getting an A for sure, <laughs> let me oh, say. Oh, my. <laughs> but it was a it was a one-credit class, and you actually just studied online, and you only met for the midterm and final, and there was probably 500 students in which the I, class. Which I proctored. Oh, you did, yeah. And yeah. I winked at her before I handed out the exam. What? <laughs> That's some uh, fraternization. Well, I think she got like a 98.8 on it, though, okay. because, I mean, lots of diligent study. I remember teaching that, that class, which should have been, you know, online with just, mm-hmm. uh, with it, and, and trying to fill uh, three days a week, 50 minutes at a time. <laughs> to terminology. To terminology, <laughs> trying to turn these into lectures. I tried to have fun with it, but there was nobody in there that was interested in having fun. Hmm. Now, Tara, let me ask you this. So as someone who, you know, has a, a much more kind of scientific mathematical background and that seems to be also kind of an interest that you followed did that translate into as i i have found with 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 students with that kind of background they often get frustrated with doing literature because they don't like the um kind of the broad uh choices of interpretation and they want they want more kind of like well what is it right what is it not cut and dry yes did you do you find that you got that that kind of that same approach yes definitely and that's why i prefer math and science because there is a right answer right right and you can just grade it this is right or wrong you have a math problem you have right answer you have a wrong answer yeah um yeah but you don't have to interpret math yeah yeah yeah. now dave at the risk of um you know making assumptions about you right or introducing conflict within our happy marriage (laughs) but no i was going to say that um I think that one of the things that Beck and I share is uh, a love for kind of that fluidity of interpretation, mm. right? That, that mm-hmm. the many different angles. And my sense is that if I had to compare myself as a classicist and you as a classicist, you're much more of a black and white guy, right? Like, mm-hmm. like, like you're much more um, like, the, like the precision of the languages is mm-hmm. some of the things that is one of the things that really appeals to you. Definitely. Okay. <laughs> and so I think that you're more like your wife than oh. some might w- would assume you being in the field of the humanities and she being from the sciences. Right. right. I think the common element, and I'm sure it's one that you share, but it's a temperamental difference. The common element is that if we're interpreting something like Cicero, I believe there is a correct interpretation, mm-hmm. right? So I'm right. not a subjectivist. Now, maybe you're a little more comfortable with the uh, the lack of what is the correct answer mm-hmm. in terms of what did he really think? What did Cicero really think? Or why did Caesar invade Gaul? So I, I recognize there are several competing answers, and we may never have you know, the exact correct one. Right. But I really want to get to it. Tem- sure. Temperamentally, I want to find it, right? So yeah. maybe that's the common element Whereas, you know, I, I would say it seems like you, you think, you know, there's objective truth or something here that's right, but you're more comfortable not having it pinned down. I'm, and discussing. Sure. I just, think, I think yeah, yeah. Oh, no, yeah, I think certainly when it comes to, to literature, when it comes to, like, to a myth or to a play, um, you know, the idea that this play can speak to audiences across time. 
and will have different things to say to different to different eras. Mm-hmm. I think is perfectly legitimate. I think it has to be, although they otherwise they would they wouldn't survive. But I'm with you in, in terms of like what did Cicero mean? Like text in context, right? Right. If we can think of what, okay, what's happening in you know. Uh, 48 BC, mm-hmm. and you know, what could be influencing things? What what ways is this word that is using been used in other texts? Those are ways that you can get to the precision of it. So right, I'm with you. And in addition, we have seen such abuses of the subjectivity of interpretation. Yes, some people twist the text so that it means anything that they want it to, and that's very obnoxious. Maybe that bothers me more than it bothers you because you just take it as a given. Of course, people are going to do that. Mm. But when I see it. It, just, it rankles. It rankles it badly. Rankles. Yes. And I think there's a similar rankling for someone who is more intent, like Tara, on math and science, you know, since it can be so easily abused, yeah. maybe what's the point of trying to find out the accurate interpretation? Is that is that fair to say? Yeah, I think that's right. So, Beck, how do you, when you teach literature in your in your classes and you have discussions on it, how do you deal with that kind of that issue? Um, are you more of, hey, let every student kind of bring themselves to the text and let that kind of speak to them in that way, and that's kind of the main thing? Or do you kind of steer them around saying that, well, that's very interesting. However, I would argue that um, what the author's trying to say here is X, Y, and Z. I'm just kind of curious. of. I think I try to balance both. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, talking about that, the world that I live in as a teacher is very different than the world you live yes. in. As I a find teacher. I find high schoolers terrifying. Yes. You know, right? yeah. Yes. So I teach high school and I teach at a school with uh, kids from thirty different countries. So my English class will have ESL students and kids who are autistic and a variety of other things. And so It's a different ballgame. It's a different ballgame. Yep. But I would say I try to do both. Okay. And I try to utilize both approaches. Okay. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. yeah. That's very interesting. So as we we move on here, one of the things that I think um, is also interesting to talk about is as you and I, Jeff, you know, moved into our later career and so forth, did our wives have any anxiety about uh, marrying someone whose career prospects were admittedly dim? (laughs) Or were you just unaware of that? (laughs) I mean, what do you think, Tara? Did that fill you with dread? You know, I'm marrying a guy who's studying something that's so abstract, so esoteric, where is there any possibility of uh, stability? Or food. <laughs> no, I don't think so. Um, so my father is, is a retired professor, and so I'm familiar with um, that lifestyle. What, I did, think what did your dad teach? He taught um, international relations, and oh, his specialty yeah. was the Caribbean, the politics of the Caribbean. Oh, wow, okay. So, no, it wasn't daunting. It wasn't. It, it was something very familiar to me um, to be you know, in graduate school and then to move to, you know, Dave's first job in Virginia teaching at a small um, college. No, I, I felt like I fit right in yeah. um, having students over because that's what we did growing up. We had international students over for Thanksgiving or Christmas or just any time. So, no, it wasn't. Yeah, it's very familiar for me. And Tara's too modest, but I, I would like, if she's willing, I'd like her to talk about some of the ways in which she has made me, you know, a hundred times more successful as a uh, professor because of the personal element that she brings to interaction with the student mm. and encourages me in, right? I don't know how many thousands of baked goods she has made over the years. Oh, man, yeah. <laughs> So what, what's your approach, Tara, to helping me, you know, as you've 
help facilitate making students welcome, not just in an intellectual sense, but in a personal sense. So I think I just take a little different approach. I think about when I was a college student far away from home, you know, not knowing anyone, not being near family. Um, And so I look at that side of the student thinking that they, you know, maybe miss their mom's home cooking or um, would just like to have a meal with a family. And so uh, maybe that's the other side of the coin to uh, David's teaching and mm. his uh, drilling of conjugation and verbs and things like that um, to help feed their soul a little bit. As he's correcting their grammar. Right. Yes, exactly. at, the t- at the table. So I bring yeah. a lot of intensity, right? Yeah. But then Tara brings a lot of muffins on quiz and exam days, right? Perfect. I she bring in a mean muffin. Yeah, right. I bring in a, you know, a container of pumpkin or banana muffins and mm. they come to really almost anticipate with joy, it's quiz day. It's exam day. I'm going to get some home-baked goods. Yes, that's great. Now, Terry, you did you grow up in Florida? Is that yes, right? Okay. that's right, in South Florida, in Miami. Okay, and so when you you came to to for undergrad, all the way up to Michigan, right? Yeah, there, yes. Did you know anybody? Uh, I had there was so my sister had also gone to the same school. She had just graduated the previous spring. Okay, so I was coming in. So I knew maybe one a sibling of an RA in a dorm that, you know, I had met in passing, but I really didn't know anyone. And, you know, coming to going from South Florida, which is culturally very diverse, um, people from Central America, Mm -hmm. Cuba, Latin America, Mm -hmm. and then coming to West Michigan, specifically, you know, a small Dutch school. Yes. Honestly, I couldn't tell anyone apart. They all looked the same. I couldn't pronounce their last names. And And your family is originally from uh, Trinidad, right? So it was a bit of a Mm -hmm. culture shock. Yes. Mm -hmm. Oh, I imagine, right. Mm -hmm. I think that's like for, you know, a couple of jabronis like you and I, you know, who grew up in the area, (laughs) Mm -hmm. uh, is, is... it's easy to forget that, how, how daunting that is. You got to tell that story, Jeff. What? I know we all remember it. When we were at the departmental Christmas party at the Bratz house, yes. and Tara brought the... To make him fire water. <laughs> yeah. Which I was promised today. The Trinidadian speaking, eggnog. <laughs> tell the story, of Jeff. Promises. So it, it's, that's what it, it's eggnog, right? Yes. It's right. And so, it's bunch of crema, amazing. Right? And so, and you guys brought this in. It was, it was wonderful. Trinidadian uh, tradition with, with rum. With rum, mm-hmm. right? And our dear colleague, I believe it was uh, a guest on this show. He was a right? guest. You yeah. can go back and look. At, uh, then we w- walked to Philippi, right? That's, right. That's the name of the episode. Right. Uh, but at some point in the dinner, he requested that someone please pass that Jamaican fire water. <laughs> <laughs> and that, that's that's going to get us canceled. That is going to get us canceled. Yes. There's no doubt. Oh. <laughs> right. But that, I mean, it maybe in a nutshell, that kind of describes the uh, yes. kind of the fish out of water yes. experience. Yeah. Right. Yes. right. So we're almost halfway through here. Yes. And in the second set after the ads, we're going to talk about some of the really practical effects of living you know, with a classicist for better and mostly for worse. But before we move to that, um, I'd like to uh, hear a little bit more about, you know, how our wives have sometimes been pulled into our discipline, Mm -hmm. despite themselves. I don't know if that's happened in in your case, but, you know, Tara has taught Latin and things like that. People just naturally assume that she's able to do all those things because it's a, you know, like a family enterprise. Yeah. And she's been very... um, accommodating to that, but it's had its challenges. Sure. Well, I think um, one of the ways that I've been brought into Beck's world is I haven't taught, like, spoken to your class. Um, 
but she has colleagues in the uh, in teaching English at her class who you know are doing the Odyssey or the Iliad and, and um, have asked me to come in, and that's been a lot of fun. But you know, at, you know, here you know, having been in the classroom for you know, 25 years now, I don't really get all that nervous giving a lecture in, in my usual classes, but speaking in front of high school students. I, it's terrifying. It's hilarious. I will say, I'll, I'll drive there and I'll sit in the car until the very last minute before I have to walk, walk in, and uh, my palms are sweating. Yes. Yeah, yeah. You you find this hysterical. Uh, it's wonderful. But tell her about the kind of the response that so I got. So the first time that, or one of the first times you came in mm-hmm. uh, to my school, a girl ran up to him um, and was like, "Hey, hey, oh, are you?" Are you the real philosopher, the real classics guy? You're the real philosopher? And she bowed. Yeah, she gave me a bow. She bowed. Wow. And I don't get that response (laughs) ever, ever. So he has, he's quite honored. Yeah, I am. It's it's it's, it's terrifying, but he's but still anxious about it. it. It's a lot of fun, and I find like you know, when you um like when I did the, the uh, Odyssey or the Iliad, you know, I'll put some Greek up on the screen and recite a few lines. It's like a magic show off. It's just like it's mm-hmm. a magic trick, mm-hmm. and you get their intention. I do it too. Exactly mm-hmm. right, um, and that smooths things over. But I could not do what my wife does. I could not do that. So you talk about you know um, bringing students into your home. I think one of the ways in both you and I are very different is I think I err on the side of kind of keeping. Mm-hmm. students at arm's length, mm-hmm. and you err on the side of, come on over, let me adopt you. Yes. Right? And yes. so you, you uh, for you, it's very, it's it's really kind of all yes. about the relationships. Yes. And, and uh, not not only teaching the subject, but um, helping these kids with their, mm-hmm. with their lives. Mm-hmm. And I find that very admirable, but it's something I could never do. Yeah. I do enjoy, I think the one way for me that I think I love with my students, like they'll have a question about a vocabulary word. And so to be able to text Jeff or call Jeff and be like, hey, what are the roots of this word? And then he just makes something up. No, I, well, I don't know. He could. But I love, I love language and I love lang- how understanding how language works. And my students have actually found, even though I teach at such a crazy diverse place, they love learning about that. Latin and Greek, the roots, the history of the yeah. where the word has come from, just creates such a deeper appreciation for the language. And that's where, in, in at her school, of course, Latin and of course certainly Latin Greek are not they're not offered. Mm. Yeah, I mean, there's I I love getting those texts from you. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, hey, what's a we're looking this word came up. You know, is mm-hmm. is, is it Latin? It is it Hellenic? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, that's that's great. I like to feel useful. You know. So Tara, how about you? How how have you been kind of shanghaied into into Dave's world? Can we say that word? Shanghai. That's another Jamaican firewater okay, there. We'll, we'll, yes, it is. We'll fix it in post. We'll, we'll, we'll find some other term to be to put in there. <laughs> so I did, um, many years ago, teach a very basic introductory Latin class, and it, but it was to uh, maybe just six and seven-year-olds. Oh, wow. And the reason why is David taught uh, an upper level class and there were some younger siblings that needed um, instruction and this was in the uh, homeschool uh, environment so thought well I think I can do this so our kids learn Latin using uh, a very antiquated online flashcard program where you would hear a word in Latin you would see a picture and you would repeat the word and Mm -hmm. so I just picked up a lot of vocabulary that way just along the way by doing it with your own children or sitting with them and helping them to learn and they actually learned to read and pronounce Latin before English just because it's phonetic and it's strictly phonetic right English is not Mm -hmm. you when they Mm -hmm. say sound out a word you really can't sound it out. It doesn't work. In Latin, it does. And so 
that's how I learned Latin. Mm. So I did teach this um, homeschool kind of beginning Latin class. And Jillian at the time, who was in the previous episode, I think it was 67, was maybe seven years old at the time. And she was not quite old enough to be in the older class. So she was sort of uh, demoted to my class. But very often in the class, she would raise her hand and say, um, excuse me, mom, that's not how dad says it. <laughs> so she would correct my pronunciation or my conjugation. I would say, okay, thank you, Jillian. And then I would go home and say, she really needs to be in a different class because I can't have a seven-year-old correcting my Latin. So we bumped her up. We put her in this easier class. Right. And she is now currently pursuing a classics major, right? Ooh, yes. That's right. Yeah. But Tara was such a good sport, and she brought her own unique brand of instruction to the experience, which was better than mine in a lot of ways. Hmm. Because, you know, being a, a grad school kind of philologist, precision was my thing. I never thought about how might the students appropriate this material. Hmm. It was more along the lines of, it's there, come on, right. pick it up. Mm-hmm. But she had charts and graphs and pictures. Ooh, One fun. really memorable uh, assignment was, I mean, she found it somewhere online, but then adapted it to Latin. It was very resourceful. It was, um, I think, a number of different crayons. And then the crayons had on it a color name, and the name was the Latin name. And then the students would color in the crayon with the proper color so that they would associate the Latin word like chiruleus, blue, yes. with the blue crayon, right? And, and have kind of this tactile experience. Exactly. Right. Rubert with the red crayon. Mm-hmm. I never would have thought of that or much less gone to all that effort. You'd say, learn it. What's your learn problem? It. Come on. <laughs> Take the crayon and... <laughs> All right, so now I'm really eager to talk about some of the travels. Yes, I am uh, too. In Italy and Greece that we've done with our wives, but the, the pedantry, the pedantry, right? Exactly. Uh, the, kind of the overwhelming nature of, of too many of too many sites, too many dead guys. Don't even start. All right, but before we get to that, we got to do the ads. Let's do some ads. This episode of Ad Nauseum is brought to you by Racial Coffee in Portland, Oregon. Mark and his fine team of aestheticians. Can I say that on air? <laughs> you can to be careful there. Yeah, yeah you <laughs> <Sorry>. can. <laughs> Those persons uh, keen on aesthetics as yes. well as engineering have put together a fantastic coffee machine. Yes, they have. The Ratio 8 and... The Ratio 6. Correct. Right. I got the 6. You got the 8. Yes, I love I my machine. Um, we've talked about... We've talked ad nauseum. We have. About how, how I love the weighty, the weighty carafe, mm-hmm. right? Uh, you got the three stages. You got the bloom stage, the brew, the brew, and the ready. That's right. And the, then you're ready to go with a delicious pot of coffee every morning. We yes. had some friends in the house the other week. Uh, someone who has said she will never have a shout out. She's too shy. What? But she loves the podcast. Okay. And she said, Ah, this is the famous ratio eight. Okay. Yeah. I'm. Yes. I'm guessing that after a cup of that, she's rethinking the shout out thing. I didn't let her have okay. any. Oh yeah. <laughs> but yes, I think she should get a shout out. Yep. So. Yep. 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 And uh, we have um, we have some special ad copy here. We do. Yes. Yep. And uh, Mrs. Noe is going to read it for us because I think it encapsulates very well exactly what Ratio is doing. Let's do it. Let's hear it. At Ratio, we believe everyone should be able to enjoy world-class coffee without the fuss, which is why we build coffee machines for flavor, precision, simplicity, and beauty. No more and no less. We call it convenience without compromise. Our customers call it 
I'm never buying another coffee maker again. Nicely oh, done. Nice, nice yeah. work. Right. Now, we should talk about this contest. Convenience without compromise, yeah. Michael. Can you just dilate on that for a moment? We're going to move pause right on. and marinate? Yeah. Yeah, sorry. Okay, convenience. Yeah. Without? Compromise. compromise. How does that work in the Winkle home? Uh, convenience without compromise? It only really works around the coffee machine. Okay, so yeah. tell me more. <laughs> So you don't want to go down to the local breenery brewery. Not the the bagel barn? No. No way. No, that's no. not convenient. No. You want it right there on your own countertop. Hit that button. But what does it mean that there's no compromise? Well, it means they have exacting standards there at Ratio Coffee, right? They're, they're not doing things halfway. No. No. It's, uh, it's, it's great. I've never had a better coffee machine in my life. All right. And yep. you're never buying another one? Never. All right. So if our customers want to score for themselves a great six or an eight, they go to... RatioCoffee.com. And they enter a coupon code... Uh, A-N-C-O. Yes, ad nauseum coffee. And they'll get 15% off one of these great machines. That's right. That's right. But there's more. What's the, no, that's it. No, no, there's more. Okay, what is it? So they're going to have to continue listening because we're extending We're extending the special sweepstakes. Ah, where yes. You can win a ratio six. We're extending it for another episode. So some point later, at some point later in this episode, we will mention the special code. You have to listen carefully. It's just going to be inserted in there. Then you go to ratiocoffee.com slash A-N-C-O, enter the code, and you'll be signed up to win your own free ratio six and we will announce that winner in episode 69 that's correct the next one okay this episode also brought to you by hackett publishing hackett publishing as i recently learned is coming up on 50 years that's incredible 50 years of publishing high quality um digestible accessible approachable uh translations of not just the classics but from many other corners of the humanities um uh, affordable yes um beautifully produced beautifully produced that love the artwork uh, on the front um i've used them I use them in every mythology class I've taught over the last 10 years. I've got a number of Hackett um, uh, ep- uh, editions on my shelves in my office and at you home. you got one in your glove box? I do. In case of emergency? I do. I, I actually have that Ovid's Metamorphoses. That's right. It's in my van as we speak. I know. So we've got even two copies of the Metamorphoses, one by our friend Stanley Lombardo yep. and the other by uh, Ambrose, right? That's right. So this is a great thing about Hackett. When you check out their catalog of books, uh, they have multiple translations for all the major authors. Right, which is, as I take it, it's... That's fairly rare. It is. Most publishers, we got one translator for one thing, and we don't need another one. But Hackett said, hey, come on in. Correct. And uh, in addition, they have been supporting this podcast for more than a year now. They jumped right on it with this generous support. They said, hey, we like the classics. We want to popularize them. We're going to support what you're doing and offer our audience a great deal. Yes, right. So, uh, listeners, if you go to HackettPublishing.com. There's two T's in Hackett. Two T's. uh, Find the books that you want. Uh, put them in your little checkout satchel, right? Is that what, is that what you're doing this time? <laughs> Once you started out with grocery cart, and yeah. I said, whoa, 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 Winkle. Right. That's usually a little icon. It's a little grocery cart. cart right. so what, buying books. Okay, now it's a satchel. So put in a copy of uh, Reeves' Play-Doh and a dozen eggs. Yep, exactly. Yep, um, a side of beef. <laughs> and then you uh, type in the coupon code, which is, I believe, uh, AN2021. For just a few more weeks. That's right. And then it will change. To AN2, I think we can reveal this. It'll yeah. change to an Two zero two two. It's a bombshell. It is huge, right? But if you do that, you will get twenty uh, percent off. Twenty percent off and free shi- free shipping. It's incredible. Check it out. This episode also brought to you by the Moss Method for learning Greek. Dave, tell us about the Moss Method. Gladly. So Moss Method is a program I have developed that will take you from neophyte 
to erudite. Which means you start out as a tender little twig knowing no Greek whatsoever, and by the end of my program, you will have almost as much knowledge as I have, by God's grace, accumulated in the last 25 years. Why is that? Why is that? Because I have put into this program virtually everything I've learned in the last 25 years of studying Greek. My goodness. so It's a lot. So you, they sign up, and then... That's right. Probably takes them a good year before they're ever even reading it. Oh, no, no. No? Great question. I love that setup. They're reading (laughs) Greek in the very first lesson. Oh, my goodness. Unlike other programs where learn a rule, apply a rule, forget the rule, learn a rule, apply a rule, forget the rule. In this program, you're actually reading Greek from the start. It's it's simplified prose, but they're good stories, connected, interesting stories. And I've heard rumors that there's also a direct connection to you. That's correct. Yes. Yes. So as soon as they sign up for the course, I get my tentacles into them. <laughs> so, so if students are interested, they should go. Well, let's talk about that a little longer. The tentacles? Okay, yeah. okay, all right, all right. It, it's a metaphor. Okay. It means that every week on Friday or some other day, they get to meet for the Moss Method office hours. Oh, okay. We get together over Zoom. We just had one yesterday. We had a couple students from uh, the state of New York. We had one from Michigan. We've had uh, folks from Hong Kong, from Kansas, from the UK. Uh, Italy, from all over, we meet and we talk about Greek, anything that you want to uh, learn, New Testament, Homer, Demosthenes, whatever. And that's one of the key benefits of being in the Moss Method course is direct access to me. No flanky, but me personally. No flankies involved and some interaction that you get to meet other people who are doing this too. It's fantastic. It's a lot of fun. So it's expert, self-paced and accessible. Go to mossmethod.com. Check it out. And you got some, you got a lot of free stuff on there they can check out. Tons of free stuff. We just put out an episode looking at Homer's Iliad book one lines 258 and 259. Okay. And uh, pretty, pretty interesting stuff. Uh, Mishka edited the video, put some comic elements in it. Lots of free material. Excellent. Sounds great. Don't hesitate. Check it out. All right. So as we get back into this, one of the things I'm eager to talk about and hear about from Tara and from Beck is uh, some of the, our experiences of travel um, in, uh, in Italy and in Greece. Uh, Beck and I have been to Italy uh, twice together. Um, including one, a, a long kind of summer study um, that I did at the American Academy at Rome, uh, up on the, genici- uh, the geniculum. Um, and uh, she's yet to come to Greece, although that's uh, uh, in the plans in the next year and a half. I, I hope if everything goes well. Um, just to kind of hear a, a different perspective, you know, mm-hmm. in traveling through Italy and Greece, um, you know, going to the ruins, Dave, it's stuff that we love, that we right. obsess about. Um, but it's important to recognize that not everybody is as obsessed with these things as we are. Right. And so um, I'd love to hear about some of those experiences. Yeah. So, Tara, the first time we went to Italy was 2004, remember, when uh, our two eldest children were just babes in arms. What do you remember about that trip? Hmm. I remember that uh, umbrella strollers don't work very well on the cobblestones. You didn't, you didn't plan very well in that. Jolting your children around in the... <laughs> From the Arch of Titus. Well, going up to the Arch of Titus and then down into the Forum. Yeah. We had two really nice umbrella strollers, and they were absolutely worthless. Oh, oh yes. Massive cobblestones. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. Yeah, somebody needs to set up a... Um, a kiosk there and sell with, like, with giant shock absorbers, yeah. right? Rental, uh, stroller rental. Right. But I, at the same time, going through it, I don't see a lot of people taking their small stroller-born children through the forum. So no. Kudos to you. We we always did. I mean, when we did travel with Ian, we would wear him. Like, he we was would small do enough, the, right? We went to Portugal and when Ian was uh, like nine months old. Yeah. 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 Yep. 
So we would do that instead of the stroller. And that's always comfortable in the blazing. Oh, hot it's sun wonderful. Of, of it's July also Rome. wonderful <laughs> if your child gets uh, ill. Yeah. It's the stomach flu. Exactly. And your husband happens to be looking somewhere off at the distance, taking a photo. Right. As your child is launching. Launching all over you. I learned recently there's a name for that. When you Ooh. get when you get sick in a place that's foreign to you, you know, not your home, it's called jippy tummy. Jippy tummy? Jippy tummy. It's a new word. Yep. It really? Like, look it up. Sounds like in the like Jamaican fire water or something. <laughs> yes. Like, little sounds of no, suspect. It's, no, okay. it's getting so offensive. It's not sus. You take your kids <laughs> to Rome and you get the jippy tummy. You get the jippy yep. tummy. Yeah. <laughs> but what else do you remember about the trip? Lots of museums. Lots of old things. Um, <laughs> pieces of pieces of statues. Did you find it interesting? Or did you was it was it like um, was it like the people that you encountered in college that all kind of looked the same to you? <laughs> After a time, it, it did. Yeah. And I remember. I think I don't know if it was. I think it was this trip. I think there was one museum that David had on his list, and the kids at that time were four and two, four oh. years old and two years old. Um, and I just said, you know what? I think they need to go to a park. And as it happened, there was a little. Um, park next door to the museum and I said why don't you go in and they'll we'll just they'll play on the swings and yeah. so they had a little break and they got to swing and so they really liked that and that was the Borghese Galleria yes <laughs> you know that little arcade that's right outside of the, because the Borghese Galleria is in a large park mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and there's a traveling arcade kind of with tilt a whirl and so forth mm-hmm. and uh but you went back to the Borghese remember in uh 20 17 when we took students there yes that's right so that's i did make it experience. back inside yeah and mm-hmm. how many students were on you have to tell the story about shepherding all of these students through the streets of rome because this was a herculean effort this is the 13th labor we had uh 40 high school students oh, from west goodness. michigan that oh, we were Jesus. taking around um i think it was 32 was it 30? Yeah, well, we add a couple students every that's year. That's a lot. <laughs> what we had to do is, after we lost one in public transportation, we had to assign them a number. True story. And oh, really? they would count off before we either left the hotel or left the museum. And then we had a list. Everyone was assigned a number, count off. Make sure we didn't lose. We did lose someone in Pompeii temporarily. I was. You I lost was, two kids on this trip. I was certain. I said to one of the other chaperones, "I said I'm pretty sure we don't have our number." She said, "Oh no, I'm sure we do." And lo and behold, we we were missing someone at Pompeii, and it was maybe 95 degrees did that we ever day. Find that she had stepped out to use the restroom, and we, you know, moved on to the next um, ruin and. We had to stop, and thankfully we did find her, and it was an undertaking. So my wife should be a private detective. Mm. She has incredible instincts for people's behavior and what they're doing, right, that's suspicious. So we had one kid who, and we won't name him, uh, but he had this black backpack, which he carried everywhere, and he was really into gaming. And so instead of seeing the sights, he would sit down at the site and play some games on a small handheld device. But he also had in his backpack at least two or three, two liters of soda, Mountain Dew or something like that, <laughs> which, um, am I remember this correctly? Because he was yes, just so, th- so. he's just so thirsty and he wanted to drink this everywhere. Well, you can imagine what it's like to carry this backpack into a high security place, you know, like um, the Borghese Galleria. And yeah. he's got these, you know, six liters of uh, Diet Coke in his backpack. 
Uh, we also had a rule about you can't ever leave um, without the group's permission. You, gotta yes. have a, you have to have the permission of one of the, um, the leaders. But he would sneak out to the store to refill his <laughs> snack supply. Do you remember this? Yes. And she caught him. So. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Oh, that's... That's my daily living. <laughs> Catching snacks, people playing Mario Kart. So back the first time that we were in Italy, I believe yep. it was 2003... Yep. And uh, I think it was your first time in, in Europe. Yeah. Yes. Uh, so talk about you know, what stood out to you on that trip. So I think the main thing that I remember, um, I mean, we did a lot in those that week's time. Yeah. We crammed in a lot. Thankfully, we did not have children at that point. No. So it was just, I think it was us and we had another friend, friend yeah. Yeah. with us. But... By the end, I think like Tara was saying too, it just started to all kind of look the same. I mean, I do remember marveling at it. Uh, Rome was by far my favorite city. Better um, than Florence? Yes. Yes. Yeah. Yes. I would agree with that. What's wrong with Personally. this woman? Uh, no, she, I, she's, she's right on there, I think. Yeah. yeah. I just, I love Rome. I love the history, the walkability. I just... I did. I love that city. And you, should, you kind of like kind of there. I mean, there's a grittiness to Rome that, that Florence. You know, Florence is more is, is kind of like Renaissance land at, at Disney and in a, a little bit. There's a dirtiness. I mean, to Rome. Right. Exactly. It, but gritty, it, dirty. Oh, I was shocked the first time we went there. <laughs> so yeah. I mean, it's one of those. Things, I think it's you either you kind of roll with it and you love it, or you yep. you say no. I you know Florence is is the yes. place to be. But you know, both Beck and I love love Rome. Yeah. Yep. So by the end of that trip, I think we went. I, I think it was by the time we were in Florence, I had I had sort of had enough because it felt like we just kept doing the same sort of things, and so I subtitled. I started calling. This the is not. Trip. I don't think it's even a subtitle. I think this is the primary title yes. of the trip. What did you call it? Um, climbing tall things and looking at dead guys, mm-hmm. and, and that's that. pretty much what we did. Right. We so climbed I'm, a lot of tall we things. Climbed, we climbed the dome in Florence. We yes. climbed St. Peter's Dome. Yeah. We climbed the um, the tower in Siena. Oh yep. yeah. And uh, and yeah, and plenty of dead guys along plenty the way. Plenty of dead guys. Right. Although plenty I will say the um, one place I remember that really kind of sparked you, and we've talked about this, is when we did the Scavi. Yes. We would do, which we've yes. done an episode on, the, going yes. to see uh, the necropolis underneath yes. St. Peter's, and then, which culminates in you getting a glimpse of Peter's bones yes. in, the, in the Lucite boxes. Yes. And I remember, you know, I, I had done it before, mm-hmm. and so I spent more time in that, in, that, in that particular tour, kind of watching you, than kind of listening to the guide, and just watching you just kind of marvel Mm-hmm. at what we were doing and what we were seeing. I thought well, that was because you kind of, it really kind of clicked. Yeah, and yeah. Pa- but part of it with that, our guide was amazing. We did have an incredible guide. And he, yeah. he did it. It was a story. Yes. And he wrapped you. He brought you into it. it yes. It was just, it was amazing. It was. Yeah, he did. He was, that, that's still, I've done that, I think I've done yep. that tour four times and that by far the best. Yeah. Yeah, that guy was great. So, yeah. So, and then the second time we lived... At the American Academy, yep. which is kind of a kind of fancy you know, a Renaissance villa up on yes, the hill. Yes, and which was very interesting because I had just finished teaching my first year at a very inner city school. And then to end up with all these academics in Rome. And the subtitle of that, that was a Mingling with Insufferables? Yes, <laughs> it was. It was. That's, that's about, Something like that. That's about right on. So 
Um, well, part of a broader conversation. Yes. Right. If I, if I may. Yes. Which is academics are unlike real people. They are. Yeah. They are obsessive yes. to the point of obnoxious. Right. And and in some ways, the like, universities do a public service by keeping them off the streets. I think to some <laughs> to some degree, right? So I think that probably our listeners can tell from listening to Beck is that she is she doesn't have a pretentious bone in her body. No. And she doesn't have a lot of uh, patience for for pretension. And she kind of brings uh, a kind of an openness and a candidness to, to kind of uh, everyone she meets. She's not impressed by, by high degrees and people who have you know written this and that. And she just kind of approaches people as, as people. So, Beck, I wonder if you could tell the story of when you found yourself sitting at the dinner table next to Peter Rockwell, who is the youngest youngest son of uh, Norman Rockwell. Well, and- Jeff, all that I remember is we had the we would have these huge dinners when we lived at the academy, and it was and it was great. It was amazing. Yeah, family styled meals and lots of wine. It lots was wonderful. of wine. Yeah, and I but all I remember was trying to engage with him like a normal person mm-hmm. and ask him questions. Um, I just wanted to know about who he was and um, real basic stuff. Yes, Jeff still likes to tease me about that. Right, so because. This man was not having any of it. Yeah, and, and so Peter Rockwell, he's a he's a photographer, he's an artist, um, uh, like his father was, and he had been doing some close up um, ph- photography of uh, Trajan's column, mm-hmm. or as you have to call it, Trajan's pole, the pole, the pole. Yeah, we studied the pole that year, and so we. It's a great. He pole. Uh, he was doing a project for the academy, and so he joined us at dinner, and I was sitting next to Beck, who was sitting next to Peter Rockwell, and I could just tell I was just I was dying inside. Because it was so clear that he was kind of miffed that Beck didn't know who he was and was not impressed mm-hmm. by the fact that he was a Rockwell. And she just wanted to kind of talk about, hey, you know, who are you? What are you doing? And it was. Tell me about your art. It was emblematic of, of, yes, exactly, of kind of, of that, of that divide mm-hmm. there. And I think for me, my desire so much when I meet people is I want to connect. I want to know who you are. Yeah. And for at least for some people in academics, they want to, they want to be known. Yes. Or like with that individual, he wanted to be well known and was not, abs- didn't want to connect, that was, wanted to be That known. was certainly the vibe that yeah. I got at the yeah. table. Yeah. Yeah. Very similar to the time that Tara, the times that Tara used to accompany me to grad school parties. Mm. Do you remember Ooh. that particular uh, professor who, I guess he was not part of our department, I won't say which department, uh, but I think because of your Indian ancestry, he assumed that you were um, Hindu. Right. Yes, yes. Can you tell that story? Oh, please tell this story. <laughs> Is this a religion professor? It oh, was, goodness. It was a graduate school um, party. So at the time, I believe we were, I think we were engaged. And so you could bring a, you know, a significant other with pl- you. Plus one. Plus oh, one. Yes. Yes. Right. Plus one. Yep. So I was the uh, plus one that evening. And I could tell he noticed me and sort of came over and started a conversation and you at know, this point i was rolling up my sleeves already oh yeah yeah you saw you saw it was going down that's right yeah. <laughs> so i explained that i was a fellow graduate student not in classics but in a you know in a, in a different discipline and we continued the conversation but once he found out that i was a judeo-christian he w- there was no interest really in talking with me any further huh so you just weren't you weren't exotic enough anymore i guess or, not uh, wow oh my goodness just a run-of-the-mill protestant <laughs> you didn't want to meet oh, one of <laughs> oh man that oh that's fascinating 
We also used to play, and I don't know if now is the time to talk about oh, this, but time. grad school. Jeff, prior to us being, so I didn't know Jeff in grad school. We met once you had graduated. We actually, or, we actually bonded over music. Yes. And not, yes. Uh, not uh, academics. We were, or... we were in a band together, mm-hmm. and I was the singer. He was the guitarist, and... Uh, I dumped him, and he wrote mean, angry songs about this me. This is not the time or place for, for these Yeah, for okay, these never mind. Right, right. So, but you would trade... Islands would... in the Stream, is that what you wrote? <laughs> Another episode, Dave. There we go. Yeah. Um, but you used to take me to classics conventions. We went to a couple. Yeah, yeah we did. And, I mean, working in more inner city school, then going to a class- classics convention was very, very different. No, to me. be fair, I didn't drag you to the... To the paper no, sessions, but no, 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 no. They, like we went to Cincinnati and went to Madison, and there in that corner yeah. of town we were in, the place was crawling with classes. Yes, yeah. and so Jeff and I, I may have been more me. It was you. We invented a game, and we would go any restaurant that we would go to, or any time we were out in public at these sorts of events, we would just sit in a booth together, and we would play classicist, not a classicist. And it's actually quite an easy game it's, to play. It's fish in a barrel. It is. Right, exactly. Right. You can see them coming a mile away. It's true. Now, when, we, we, when you, we, we would, you would deem someone a classicist, we would never you know, prove it by asking no. them. No. But it was It, it, it was obvious. It, was it obvious. didn't need to be proven. <laughs> it did not need to be proven. So what around, were the telltale signs? Looking a little lost, right? A little Very th- lost. Maybe a, a slightly disheveled, right? Sometimes dark clothing. For the women, at, oh, for the for the for the women, it's all black. Yes, yes. dark clothing. Yep. Um, glasses. Stepping possibly. on a lot of toes here. Uh, this is what she does. This is, yeah. Yes. Yeah. But you can. It's just a. Uh, you just know it you know, when so you she, see it. She she's undefeated at this mm. game. I am. Yeah. Mm. So let me mention the code here oh, yeah. for ratio. It's six five six seven. Listen, Jeff, can you repeat it? Six five six seven. Right. And uh, when we were prepping for this show, if I can, if I can pivot. Oh, yeah. Word I hate. Your, your favorite term. Yes. Pivot is everything in life a basketball game? I guess so. <laughs> it's constant pivoting. All right. All right. All right. Sorry. Or irrigation. Bring, bring it back. Okay. Uh, I, when we were prepping for the show, Mrs. Noe put down one of the things she'd like to talk about was yes. dissertation-length correspondence. Oh, really? Okay. What, okay. Tell, uh, Tara, please tell us about that. Well, uh, it seems like whatever you can say in, uh, or a classicist, whatever you could say in maybe two sentences really turns into two pages if you want to communicate anything of importance. <laughs> I would actually say you're the opposite. Really? Yes. That's interesting. But I don't know. Like, I feel like he is, you're so precise with your wording. So whereas I, I feel like I would be the one who would say more. Oh, with a, without a doubt. We, yes. I think the roles and are reversed. And write more. In the, and yes. He yeah. is the one who's like straight to the point. Okay. So I give him the dissertation. That's interesting. So you got, you got dissertation length uh, correspondence from, from David. Can you tell us, Tara, what's the weirdest thing you've ever gotten a dissertation length explanation about? Well, that's a good Can question remember? to think about that for a minute. I'm not certain. It's, it happens every day, right? It's such a common occurrence. <laughs> well, I will. I mean, I will hear. I've been witness you know, sitting here in the vomitorium. Your husband, he likes to use the voice to text feature. Yes. Yes. And oh, um, that is so I do, annoying. I, 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 I smile because um, 
he, he, when you do that, they, you have, there's such kind of a formal tone about mm. it, right? And maybe that's just so the software recognizes what you're saying. Before you pile on too heavy, <laughs> remember I can't use one thumb. You can't use all oh, that stuff. Oh, that's right. right. right okay. Now do you feel bad? No. I have this non-working left hand. <laughs> I still remember too. Was it when you guys were in? A, it was one of the last times you traveled. It might have yes. been when yeah. you were. It was 2016. Yeah. yeah, it's been six years. But I remember you coming home and saying it was so funny to watch David. Just you, the two of you would joke around, but then he would get on the phone with Freddie and he would be, "Hello, Freddie." Yeah, you, you kind of this take formality a- would come over, yep. yeah. and. Um, yeah, I remember you talking. He about was, uh, uh, I mean, that, that was a great trip, but you you suffered. Anybody Aww. else want to throw me under suffered. the bus I'm, while I'm, we're at I'm it? I'm trying to. I'm offering you some compassion right now because I mean, there, you have, you were going through that weird arm thing. Yeah, it was. Yeah. It was didn't painful. know what was going on. And it was right. very painful. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. All right, so we're up against the clock a bit. We got to wrap this up, but before we go, we got to talk about those times where. Uh, Dave, you and I have led trips, so we've taken students overseas, and we're gone for weeks at a time. Yeah, as many as eighteen to twenty-one days. Yes. Uh, what about the what about those left behind? Yes. What uh, about those? No, I know. Behind. I know that uh, that you know in our relationship that has been a thing of, of tension, especially as you know we, with young children at home, does not make it easier when you're kind of single mom in it, or uh, when you're pregnant, or when you're pregnant. That's also Jeff, and about were, to burst. What? <laughs> uh, my wife. Oh, my wife. Yes. So, uh, but could you maybe you want to speak? speak to that. I mean, what, what have been the, um, you often talk about, you know, you know, these horrible things that come in threes. So we, we, anytime that Jeff would leave, um, and he did leave me right before I gave birth to Ezra. Remember? Yeah, Cause was, when I, yeah. when we came, when he came home within two weeks, we had two or three weeks, we had Ezra. Yeah. So I was, I was large and in charge. Um, but we had a joke. There were kind of three things that would always happen. And this has happened every single time he's gone away. Number one, someone would get Violently ill, right? Violently ill. Yep. And sometimes all of us would get violently ill. So were you just faking it because Jeff no, was gone? Or? No, <laughs> it was not faking. I did not fake this. Uh, number two, there would be a major weather system of some sort. It was always in January. So we would get feet of snow, um, polar vortexes, ice storms, ice storms yes. you name it. Which would be roof leaks, right? Yep. yep. And then number three. Something in our house, we live in an old house, something always goes wrong. Pipes freeze. Uh, last time he was gone, the toilet overflowed and came through into our kitchen. Yeah. It was raining in our kitchen. Oh, no. um, so with that, with that moment, we were in, I, I was in with a group oh, in, in Delphi. This was in 2018. And I was on the balcony, which overlooks the valley. Oh, it's gorgeous. It, it's just gorgeous. And so I thought, what a great, a great yes. time to call. I'll FaceTime my wife. And the first image I see is not my wife's face, but my neighbor with his toilet snake, trying to un, <laughs> trying to trying to remedy the situation in the in the bathroom. And as it's raining, as in it's the raining, kitchen. right? So that's what I thought. Oh, right. I bet you were glad to end that call and <laughs> go back to the idyllic setting of the Delphi Valley. <laughs> it, was, it was awful, but yeah, that's that does seem to be uncannily that happens. You got yep. similar kind of thing at the the Noe household. Sure. Yeah, we had this infamous window well in one of our homes, which. For whatever reason, we didn't have a cover on, and uh, one time David was away for an interim trip, and lo and behold, a muskrat (laughs) dropped into the window well. Oh, no. (laughs) Day one. What did you have to do? Did you call somebody? This Critter has a, control? This has a somewhat violent ending. Who do you call so for I'm a muskrat? Sure oh, yeah. you want to? Oh no! Want to go down this? No. Okay, we're not going here. So the window well was larger than it needed to be because I dug it myself. Okay. So it was maybe not to code, and I finished most of it myself. 
And this poor creature wandered up through the sewer and dropped in there. And they're not the smartest. So I gave phone-related advice. You know, put a board down there, see if you can get it to climb out, entice it to come out. But it stayed there in a long time until I returned and then services were held. Oh, my goodness. Wow. On that that note. (laughs) (laughs) So what do you guys do when... I mean, you face this guilt. So Tara and I wanted to talk about gifts. Like, what do you bring back from these trips? What do you buy your spouse? Or what do you buy someone who you've left behind to deal with the polar vortex? Right. And so Taylor, Ta- Tara and I were going to just share some of our gift ideas or what the best and the worst that you guys have brought back. Yeah. Well, the, the feeling is, right, this is ostensibly like a junket, you know, all expenses paid trip to Greece mm-hmm. or Italy. No, we we were working, weren't we? We were. There was some work that happened occasionally. Yeah, yeah mm-hmm. but but you and I had a we had a great time. We had a great we time. We had a lot of fun, mm-hmm. right? And they, they don't want to hear that. They don't <laughs> want to hear that. So we often just pick up some family gifts, right? Yeah. And uh, what does Greece have to offer? Typically olive wood based salad tongs. Have you, and so how forth? many tongs have you brought a back? Lot, right? a, a ton <laughs> of tongs. Never brought- I never tongs. No, I think you would like some, wouldn't you? Some oh, I would love some yeah, next tongs. Time. The other thing is uh, olive oil soap. Yes. Yes, I brought back yes. that as well. Because it travels easily. Right. Yep. Now, eventually, I moved into buying, you know, decent jewelry, mm-hmm. right? Like mm-hmm. On the Ponte Vecchio in Italy, in Florence, the yes. famous bridge. I bought right. some nice stuff, but also a lot of sponges and soap and other things to try to assuage my guilt and mm-hmm. allow the people who weren't there to share the experience a little bit. Yeah. No, I, I remember um, when we went in 2016, you had actually done some research about yarn stores in Rome and you had kind of flagged these things. So they, they looked and they sounded interesting and you love to, to knit. And so I remember it was one of the last days there and I was going all over the city looking you, to, to find these. you actually told me that you spent multiple days. Uh, well, he just made that so, up. So, no. yeah, it wasn't the last day because he doesn't procrastinate. No, I remember the last day in particular because it was incredibly frustrating just trying to find these places. And and I, was, I went 0 for 3. Um, one place I could not find, the other two were closed. And so I think I ended up getting you just some, like, like some like, like garbage shirt. Was I was with in, you. Was this in Rome? Were you Rome? with me? Yeah. yeah. Remember was when this we left in Rome? The, yes. This was in Rome. Okay. Remember when we left the hotel, we tied some floss to the post so we could find our way back? <laughs> That's <Do> right. You, <laughs> exactly. Do you remember, yeah. though, I wonder if part of it was, we've been in Rome multiple times, and there will be three or four buildings with the exact same address. That's true. It's, it's very so difficult to find much many of anything. Pla- much of anything. So um, I'll, I'll rely on that excuse. And so I, remember, I was so frustrated, I couldn't find anything Along the lines of what, can you had sent me like like the map and said, look, this place looks cool, this place looks cool, and said, oh, I can walk there. You can't walk there. Um, so, but yeah, I mean, the last time I was in Greece, my colleague that I had along, um, a, a a delightful woman, and she could, she's, she's, oh, I can help you here, and so I got you, you know, a nice scarf, you know, the the textiles and. And such. So I've I've hit, but I've certainly missed. You really needed that one after the toilet and the. I did. Absolutely right. Exactly. She knew. She knew. She She knew. She had your back. So Tara, how about you? Can you remember any kind of uh, best or worst? Best gifts, worst gifts. We do have lots of very nice um, olive wood (laughs) bowls, tongs, tongs. Yeah. Butter knife. Butter knife. Olive wood butter knife. You brought you brought home a butter knife. I did. Wow. Trying to, you know, just get ahead, butter her up. <laughs> Olive forks. Yep. Oh. Yeah. Okay. One time you called me, or we, I don't know, texted while I was in Rome. 
You gave me a specific choice. You said I'd like one of those silver rings that you have often got for me. And you may even be wearing it right now. I don't know. So that was very helpful to have something specific. Because I may be a raging chauvinist. Mm-hmm. Uh, oh, you didn't have to agree <laughs> But I'm of the school where it's much easier to please someone if you know what they want. Yeah. So if you get clear directions, I'm very happy to comply like with directions that. directions to the knitting stores. Exactly. That's right. <laughs> to yeah. the yarn shops. I needed, I needed a taxi to the knitting store is what I needed. Yes. Yeah. So any Tara, come on, any any like real clunkers that you can remember? No, I not really. I think he did a pretty good job, all considering. Yeah, I was with him. To... I was with him in that jewelry shop on the Ponte Vecchio, and uh, I was impressed with how how intent and how and how personal and and how exacting you were and what you wanted and what you're looking for. So I can attest to he put some thought into at least that gift. Did you want me to buy you a ring, Jeff? I was a little disappointed <laughs> that I didn't get anything walking out of there, but uh, I remember it. Yeah. Hmm. So I think we got. I think we're up against the clock. We got to get out of here. We got to get out of here. So before we go, we've always got our our uh, people to thank. Who are these? Dave, who are these musicians? So we need to thank Ken Tamplin, who provides the music for the you know the ads, the bumper music, and Scott Van Zen, the screaming guitar for the intro and the outro. Yes, yes. Um, we got to thank Mishka, our sound engineer, sound engineer, and well, even shout out to uh, Agricola. Yeah. Now we're not we're not releasing this one as a video edition. No, but he's uh, he's uh, he's part of the fold. now. That's correct. Yep. yep. Agricola is helping us out with all so those we're, things. We're really excited about um, releasing these things on uh, the YouTube. That's correct. Yep. And uh, speaking of which, if you uh, like the show, please. Go Go to YouTube and enter Ad Nauseam as the channel. Search for it. We'll put it in the show notes or somewhere in the release. And uh, subscribe to the channel. That would uh, really help our growth. We'd appreciate that. Yep. And if you got a comment or an idea uh, for uh, for a show, you want a shout out, you can write to Dave at Dave at Ad Don't forget the V. Or Jeff at Ad Don't forget the V. We'd like to hear from you, your comments, your complaints, your criticisms, your angry screeds. That's right. Not you, Ron. No. Yeah. Ron. Yeah. Give it a rest, Ron. Right. And Dave, what we got coming up next week? Well, it's another uh, seasonal-themed episode. Okay. It's Quomodo Inwidiosulus Nomine Grinchus Christina Talam Abrogawarit. What in the world did you just say? That is Seuss's version, uh, actually Terence Tunberg's version of the famous Seuss book, how the Grinch stole Christmas. So we're gonna we're gonna do some recitation. And That's reading. correct. Excellent. I'm gonna read some of it in Latin. You're gonna read some of it in Latin. We're gonna talk about the translation. Talk about. Uh, uh, Latin children's books a little more broadly yeah. should be a good way to close out or begin the new year, depending on when it drops. Sounds like fun. And so we're going to end as we always do with a gust. We're going to do two gustatory parting shots. That's correct. One for each of our lovely wives. That's right. And so Beck, um, uh, give us a, the first of these, would you? You never cook onions with your beans. That is a recipe for tear gas. Justin Swap. <laughs> Excellent. And for Margaret Atwood, nothing helps gluttony along so well as eating food you don't have to pay for yourself. Read. Yeah, thanks for listening. Thank you. Thank you.